When Jesus was 33 years old, he was killed. And that seemed like it was the end of the story. But it was all part of a plan to capture Jesus and kill him. And eventually, they did. Jesus was put to death on a wooden cross along with two other criminals. And after hanging on the cross for hours, he died. Later that evening, Jesus' body was taken down from the cross and put in a tomb. It laid there for three days. And then, something unexpected and wonderful happened. He came back to life. This was the moment that everything in God's rescue plan had been leading up to. All the promises and prophecies God had made to Adam and Eve, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, Moses, the nation of Israel, David, Isaiah, Daniel, Micah, Zechariah, and many more were all about Jesus. I calculated how many hours I played video games from when I was 14 to roughly 18. I was kind of nice to myself. I said I only probably played two hours a day when I know there was probably times I played way more than that. But when you kind of pull all that together, it came to 122 total days of my life during that time period I played video games. Yep, staring at a screen, 8-bit, all that, or Sonic the Hedgehog, or whatever it was. I don't even remember. But, you know, it didn't really affect me or make me think much until one day I was in an elders retreat. And while we were gathered around, one of our elders, his name is Bill. Bill, uh, Bill Getty's always been a great storyteller, talking about all the different scouting trips he would go on. And we would imagine with him as he's trekking along with these young kids that one of these kids was talking about it didn't matter what he did. and didn't matter how he treated himself or all these kind of things. And Bill began to tell the story of his life, began to lay out some of the things that he did. And he said one phrase at the end that's always haunted me. He said, you know, I'm still living with the choices of a 14-year-old. That's an incredible thought, that for the rest of our lives, we're going to live with the choices we made when we were young and stupid. And what we're looking at is that as we move forward in life, we're going to continue to live with the decisions we make in our lives today. But we've been talking about eternal life. We've been looking at the fact that you and I have been given eternal life through Jesus Christ, and that we've been offered an opportunity to know the true and living God. And that if we will take that, we abandon this this road that leads to destruction and we find a life that's full and will ultimately lead to this eternal kind of life in heaven. Now, the question, though, that really kind of struggles in my mind is this. Do we really think about our life today? Do we really think about our life later? And then do we really think that I'm going to live forever with the decisions I make today? I mean, do we think that my decisions right now are going to affect my eternal future? Or do we kind of put a wall up? And as I've looked through our culture and I've thought about the different things I've seen, looking on Instagram, maybe you have too, there are so many times that we discover that it seems our world thinks they don't attach. There's no connection between heaven and hell, eternity, the afterlife, and how we live today. In fact, some people think there is no afterlife. So YOLO, baby, go for it. Do whatever you can. Enjoy life. And COVID hit, and they're kind of trying to figure out, how do I extend my life? How do I get past this? How do I make sure I don't get sick? And nobody else does, because all we have is this one life. And then there are some Christians that I know who honestly, they feel like, hey, I got Jesus in my life. I can go live however I want. It's no big deal now. I can sit on the bus, wait for Jesus to show up, and boom, I'm out. No more suffering, no more tears, whoop, whoop, you know, that kind of a thing. And what we discover as we look into these things is that 
That's not how I think Jesus wanted us to think. I mean, how did he want us to think? What would we look for? Where would we go? And we find it on an evening as he talked to a man named Nicodemus. This was a leader of the, Jewish, uh, of the Jews, and he was a Jewish Sanhedrin member. And as he met with Jesus, Jesus began to express and expose this idea of eternal life. And in the middle of it, he landed on the famous verse we know, and we've been looking at John chapter 3, verse 16. As John recorded this, he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And Jesus gave us a clue. He gave us a clue about whether or not that life affects this life or this life affects that one, whether there's a wall or not, and whether the decisions I make today affect my life forever. And it's right here in this word, have. If you pulled that word out and looked at it, it's in the Greek and it's in the present tense. That means it's happening right now. The second you believe, you have eternal life. You don't wait for it. It's not coming to you. You have it right now. Now, I gave my life to Jesus Christ one summer night in 1995. That means I've been experiencing eternal life for almost 25 years. And yet, it doesn't always feel like eternal life, not like what I described uh, last week as we were looking at it. There seems to be a gap between the fullness of heaven and the fullness of that eternal life and the lo- eternal life we have right now. Yes, we have a relationship with God, but I'm not seeing his face. Yes, I am going to live forever, but I still live in brokenness. And what we see is that Jesus ascended into heaven and he said something. He told us he's coming back at the end of the age to bring about this eternal situation. And when he gets into this, what he's telling us is, yes, you have eternal life right now, but it's not full yet. Already, but not yet. Already you have it, but it's still coming in its fullness. And it's in that gap, in that gap of the two worlds as they collide and come together that we live. And indeed, we are living in one life that will go on forever. And the way that we live right now, the life we live today, affects the life we live forever. This is important. And so how should we live? What should we do? And Jesus gives us an answer. It was in the last week of his life. He begins to walk through the temple. He begins to cleanse the temple. He begins to teach in the temple. He begins to argue with the leadership. And on his way out in that last week, his disciples begin to remark at the giant buildings, the golden gleaming, the huge stonework, the wonder that the temple was. I climbed up onto the edge of a hill overlooking that very valley and over to the, the, the very uh, temple down there. And, and Jesus says, you see that? Every stone upon that, um, every stone that's laid there will be taken off and thrown apart. Not one stone will be left on the other. And Jesus' prediction that day happened several, thir- 40 years later in 70 AD. The entire temple would be torn down. I guarantee that caught the disciples' attention when they realized how true Jesus had made it because he then began to tell them about his return. He began to tell them when that new age, when the fullness would come in. And then he began to tell them stories. In fact, he gives us three particular stories that tell us about how we should live as we're waiting for that fullness to come, about how this life affects forever and how forever can affect right now. We find these stories here in Matthew chapter 25. We're going to go through three of them. And so if you've got a Bible, grab them, open it up. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 25. The first parable 
here in the first 13 verses is actually very interesting. It's talking about a wedding and it's talking about some bridesmaids. And so it begins, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. And as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. Now, this is a Jewish wedding. And what's interesting about a Jewish wedding is the betrothal would be over. That would be their type of an engagement. It would be roughly a year, and it would have been formal, a giving of rings at the beginning. So they're considered married, but they're not fully married yet. During that year, the groom would prepare the home for his bride. Doesn't that sound romantic? Until you think about how men decorate houses, and then maybe it wasn't so romantic, right? Antlers and weird stuff. Anyway, the point is that this man was prepping for his bride. And on the wedding day, he would leave with his entire entourage, and they would go down in a processional through the streets of their town. And everybody would declare, here comes the bridegroom, here comes the bridegroom, and they would be headed to the bride's house. Now, at the bride's house, she would wait, anticipating his coming with the bridesmaids. And that's the scenario we're seeing. Because they're waiting for that call. Here comes the groom. Here he, he's here. And as they're waiting, it would get later and later because every good groom knew one thing. You wait as long as you can to heighten the anticipation. And so he did. He waited. And at, what we see now as we continue on here is he waited until midnight. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. What's interesting about this is at this point, why would they be kicked out? Weren't they invited to the wedding? You see, during a processional, even rabbis would stop teaching in order to usher their, their disciples out and stand in honor of the wedding procession. It was considered the greatest honor in a town to go out and celebrate a wedding. And here are some bridesmaids who were foolish. They weren't ready for the long wait of the groom. You know, it'd be a lot like a modern day wedding, right? We have our bridesmaids who usually walk down the aisles. Sometimes they're met by the groomsmen and all that kind of fun stuff that we get to do. Imagine with me that you got a peek into the back room with the bride and her bridesmaids and they're all getting ready. And suddenly the wedding coordinator comes in and says, you're up. It's time to get moving. The wedding is about to begin. And five of your 10 bridesmaids go, oh my gosh, my makeup's not completely done. It's all smeared, messed up. My hair's messed up. And they run in to go do their makeup and clean up, but they don't have any. So they run over to their friends and say, you, give me some of the makeup. And they're like, I can't give you any. We barely have enough for ourselves. Go grab some real quick. Go down to the CVS or whatever. And while they're gone, the, the entire wedding happens. They come back and it's party time and they're not let in. Why? Because it was insulting that they weren't ready for the wedding. And that's exactly Jesus' point. It was insulting that these women were not prepared with enough oil for the wedding. 
And so when they came to the door of the party, they heard these words, hey, I don't know you. You've embarrassed us so greatly. I can't let you in here. Now, what's interesting about this whole parable is Jesus is drawing in the point. He says, watch therefore, for you do not know neither the day nor the hour. In other words, we as disciples, we as followers of Jesus need to be ready with our own faith. Now hear me, hear me, you got to have your own faith. You don't have all the time to make a decision here. I know some of you may be young and you think I've got my whole life ahead of you. I got plenty of time to make a decision for Jesus Christ, to give my life to him and to receive eternal life. You know, I could do it when I'm older, but will you be older? I praise God that I know four young teenagers who honestly, they lost their life this year, a few months ago, and they were ready. They thought they had their whole life ahead of them, but they knew they needed to make a decision about Jesus now because whether Jesus returns now or whether your life is cut short, you are not guaranteed tomorrow. You're not guaranteed tomorrow no matter your age. We can't walk around assuming we've got all our life ahead of us and wait to make the most important decision to be ready for eternal life because the decision you make today is going to affect the life forever. And so what we need to understand is Jesus saying, be ready now. Why wait? Why mess around with this? In fact, have that relationship with God now. If you're a Christian, why are you waiting another day to enter into the presence of God to pray, to open the word of God, to know him? You can't leave that up to the pastor. You can't leave that up to your neighbor. You can't leave that up to your friend. Why wait another day to enter into him using you in service or, or helping you lead someone to Jesus? Well, I don't have that gift and I don't have that. Guys, are you ready? And what we're called to be is ready because we can't borrow somebody else's faith. You can't take someone else's faith for you. Chandler told me a story about a Chinese man he had met many years ago who was a foreign exchange student. And he was talking to him and he said, hey, so, you know, what do you believe in, a, in an effort to kind of have begin a conversation? And this man said, well, when I was in China, I believed um, in Buddha and I followed the teachings of Buddha. And he said, after a minute, but now that I live in the United States, I, I guess I'm a Christian. That's not how this works. Just because you grew up in the U.S. or in Europe or in the West doesn't make us a Christian. It doesn't, you can't grow up in a Christian home and it make you a Christian. You can't marry a Christian wife and assume that her faith rubs off on you or his faith, ladies, will rub off on you. No, we have to stand alone before God. We can't borrow somebody else's faith and think we're getting in because mom and dad raised me this way. You need to make your own decision and you don't have a lot of time to mess around. He could be coming today. He could be coming tomorrow or we aren't guaranteed tomorrow. And so we understand that our readiness then is necessary. And it's not a matter of legalism like, oh, I gotta be ready for God. No, 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 no. But just like the bridesmaids, is an honorable respect to the invitation of being one of those bridesmaids, we need to respond with respect to God who's given us eternal life. I mean, what a gift. It cost him, his son, Jesus Christ, to bear our hell, our destruction, our punishment on the cross. It cost him everything. He gives it to us freely. And man, doesn't that mean we should be ready with respect ready to give him whatever praise and celebrate with him when he's here. I mean, we should be ready out of just worship and honor. So Jesus gives us a hint. He's saying, how should you live? How should we be in this life as it 
compares to the next, as it preps for the next, as it affects the next, and that is we need to be ready. We need to have this faith now. Now, Jesus moves into another story. He doesn't stop there. And so his next story, we know it as the parable of the talents. Take a look with me here. It begins in verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey, right, who has called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Good. To one, he gave five talents. Went, what? Now, here's the funny thing. We get, we get that word talents. It's like he gave one guy five talents. It was ability to jump on one foot for five hours, you know, rub his and, and pat his head. You know, that's a talent, right? No, no, no. That's not the kind of talent we're talking about. Our culture actually adopted this word to mean those gifts that you have naturally within you. But that's not what this word means at all. Actually, what this word means is bags of money. Yep. To one he gave five bags of money, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability, and then he went away. How much is a talent? See, a talent isn't even actual money. It's a weight of money. And here's what's interesting. It would be like being given one of these full of change. You ever done this? Filled up one of these tubs with change and then gone in and put it in. If this was only quarters, it would be roughly about $2,000, they say. If it's halfway full, it would weigh almost a talent, 75 pounds. That's heavy. So literally, this master's walking up saying, here's a sack or here's a chest of money, 75 pounds worth of silver or gold. Now that's huge because what that's telling us is that God loves to give us stuff. Man, he loves to pour out on us all kinds of things. He's not holding back. In fact, he's giving it according to our ability. He knows what you can handle. He knows what you can't. He's not going to give you something you can't handle. So when he's pouring out his gifts on you, when he's pouring out his talents on you, when he's giving you the ability to have lots of money, to live in the United States, right? Or the ability for you and I to actually use our voices for song, for some of you to have the gift to learn and use your intelligence. Maybe you have the spiritual gift of mercy or the spiritual gift of faith, or you have been given tongues and you're able to pray and praise God in a private time in your life and lift people up. Maybe you've been given a gift of knowledge Maybe you have all kinds of opportunities to be able to praise God with your gift and use those gifts for God. Well, that's what you should be doing. God loves to pour stuff out on us. It's all his resources he loves to give to us for the sake of his kingdom. See, this is his property he's entrusting to us. Nothing we own is truly ours. It's been given to us to be used for him. And this is crazy because God is so generous, so overwhelmingly generous he wanted to give it to us so we could use it according to our ability. I have a friend who actually has quite a few talents in telling stories. And what I have loved to watch is him dive in and get out there and engage with people in the children's ministry, telling stories and helping pull children in to be aware and amazed at what Jesus is teaching and about God. I love seeing him use his talent. I love seeing people on our worship team use their talents because this giftedness, these resources that God gives should be used for his kingdom. Maybe all you have is time. You say, I don't have a lot of money. I only got a couple talents. I'm really not gifted very well. That's all right. Not only does God give you spiritual gifts, as we'll learn later in this year, he, he'll give you more of them if you ask, but he'll give it according to your ability. He's not going to overwhelm you with what you can't handle. 
And he wants you to use your time. Maybe you're poor with finances, but you're rich with time. Maybe you're poor with time, but you've got plenty of finances. Maybe you've got lots of knowledge you can share or compassion so you can pray. You have plenty that you can use for his kingdom. In fact, this is what we talk about here at Olivebridge. We say we want to live for Christ. And so we call you guys to live for Christ. And we want to help you. How to use your time. How to use your, how to use your giftedness. How do you use finances? How do you use your vocation, your work? Well, we teach all that in our Live Keystone. And we would love for you to just be able to let us know, hey, I want to, I want to learn more. I want to dive into this. Even now, during this crisis, we have, we'll have Zoom classes and we can set up a Live Keystone for you. If you just let us know you're interested, you can text LIVE to 951-382-5111 and we want to help you out because God has overwhelmingly given us tons to use for his kingdom and poured it out on us. Not just one he gave to these guys, he gave one guy up to five. And so we continue forward. It says, He who had received the five talents, or the five money bags, he who had received the five money bags went at once and traded with them, and he made five more bags. So also he who had two money bags made two more money bags. But he who had received the one money bag went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five money bags came forward, bringing the five more money bags, saying, Master, you've delivered to me five money bags. Here, I have made five more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into your master's joy. In fact, we see that he does the same with the man who had two money bags. And he ends in the same way. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Look, what I love about this is that God is is actually calling us to be faithful with what he's given to us. He has given it to us to work in his kingdom, to use in all the things he's asked to do. He's given you it so you can spread the gospel to other people so they can hear about it and receive eternal life. He has given it to you so that you can teach disciples so they can grow. You can teach your children so they can pass it on to the next generation. So you can celebrate God's glory as you see his wonder and you sing his songs. Guys, this is what it means to simply be faithful. You want to give it back to him. You want him to come and you say, here's what I've done with it. Now, our culture wants to make this all messed up. You know, the guy with five money bags, he brought five back. We're like, no, you got to live to your full potential. If he gave you five, double it. And that's actually not what this is talking about. You see, I think God knows that he doesn't want to overwhelm us with requirements and restrictions of these kinds. See, years ago, my children uh, were obsessed with a particular video game. Again, it was a Mario Brothers game. But at this time, they were young, and I wasn't comfortable with how obsessed they were. And to be honest, we gave them some time and they would play and then they would beg for more, beg for more, beg for more. And I just was probably not a very good dad in this, but I had to go mow the lawn. And I was thinking I wanted to teach them a lesson. So I walked up to them and I said, guys, here's the video game. You get to play for the next hour while I'm on the lawn. They were like, yay! I said, no, no, you don't understand. You have to play this game. They're like, what? Yes, if I come back in and you're not past the fifth level, by the time I'm done mowing, you're going to have a consequence. And they looked at me like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah. And so they started playing this game. 
15 minutes, I come back in just to check on them. How you guys doing? They're crying. They're like, we can't get past this jump. And they can't make it there. They keep falling the same one. Life after life, reset after reset, continuation. And they're just like, by the end of it, my son's like, oh, I hate video games. I never want to play them again. This is ridiculous. And I said, so we'll calm down. I want to show you guys something. Look, just like I try to help you guys read, just like I try to help tell you guys you need to go take a nap. You know, the good things for us that are fun even, when we're told what to do, we hate them. I think God knows that about us. And so he hasn't told you, hey, you need to double your money. You need to double your talents. You need to use your gifts because if not, you're going to be in trouble. That's not what he's saying. What I love is he actually rewards them for being faithful. Well done, good and faithful servant. That means you have a gift. God's given you an opportunity, the gift of a neighbor. And maybe you go next door and you try your best to share the faith. And you know what? It fails miserably. Is he mad? No. You're faithful. You took the risk. Sure, the investment may not double. Sure, the gifts may not necessarily grow. But you took the risk. You tried teaching that class. You tried leading that worship. You attempted to care for that person. You prayed for healing over that person. Does it always work and it's always perfect? And so God, no, God is just glad you're faithful. Don't get caught up in being the greatest potential. There's no perfection here. But know that God loves those of us who we take what he's given to us and we're faithful. And that's what he's saying because the other guy, he really wasn't. As we pick up here in verse 24, he says, He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested in my money in the bank. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. Very interesting. In this comment, it, a lot of things come out. This man, first of all, loses what God gave him. In other words, Jesus kind of says, use it. Or lose it, right? Use your eternal life. Use this gift he's given you. You can't just sit on it. You can't just go dig it in the ground and go, well, I don't know. Jesus never gave me anything and I'm not going to do it. No, no, no. A disciple knows this is an honor to be given this opportunity to serve. See, a servant in the ancient world to be given property would have thought of it as an honor. They aren't working out in the field. They're not working out in the salt mines. They're over property. This is an opportunity for them to grow, to develop, and to basically impress and respect their master. And so they took it as an honor. They knew their master well enough to say, he's an honorable person. He sees me do that. I want to do this for him. And they were rewarded. This guy, not so much. Not only was he not prepared for the return of his master, like the bridesmaids, this guy was lazy. Notice He's called wicked and slothful. It's not so much that he's, he's just like, oh, you know, I'm so scared. No, he's just lazy. He literally doesn't want to do it. In other words, I think what Jesus is saying is there's no consumer Christianity. We can't just come and consume Christianity lest you get consumed. 
We're called all to be the volunteers, to be the servants, to be engaged, to be a part of the ministry that God has given to us because he's given us these things to use for his kingdom, not to be used on us, not to be used for us, but to be used to, for his kingdom to explore and expand what he has done. And in that there's reward, in that there's a coming reward that comes to us. And that reward comes from knowing our master. Notice he doesn't know the master. He thinks this guy is, is going to just pound him. And the master uses his own words against him. He says, oh, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? I'm going to use your own words against you then. Then you should have invested my money. You think God's wrathful? You think he's angry? Then you should be ready. See, you need to know God. Because when you know him, it will inspire you to actually work in his work and watch what he does as we're faithful with what he's given to us. See, what God has called us to, bottom line in all this, as we look through these things, is that we must be busy about God's work because it affects our eternal lives. See, this guy who wasn't busy finishes in this way. He says, so take the talent, take the money bag from him, and give to him who, is ten, who has the 10 money bags. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a warning for those of us who are not going to get engaged. It's not so much that you're losing your salvation. It's as much revealing that you didn't know the master in the first place. That can be changed. He offers you the opportunity to know him by trusting that Jesus Christ died on the cross to receive that eternal life and then to walk in it, to live with God so that you can know him, the true God, and see the gifts he's given you. You see, there is lots to do. There's lots to engage in. And so we can say, well, what am I supposed to do with all my gifts and all this stuff? What does it mean to work in the kingdom? There's so much to do. Well, thankfully, Jesus says, are you ready? And we say, yeah. Are you going to get busy in the kingdom? He says, yeah. Are you going to get to work? Yeah. And he says, okay, let me help you focus. And so we pick up in his final story here in verse 31. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory... And all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. He takes us to that final moment when the fullness of eternal life is about to crash in. He says, here's what's going to happen. Just like when the master showed up, just like when the groom came, there's going to be a moment when we're going to stand before God and the time is up when our choices of this life will affect the eternal life later. And he says then, beginning in verse 32, before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one another as his shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you 
sick or in prison and visit you? And then it says, and the king will answer them. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. This is the critical piece. He says that if you did it to the least of these, my brothers. Now he's not saying least of these, my brothers. That's not what he's doing. He's saying the least of these of my brothers. This is the category that what God has called us to is those who are in the greatest need in the church. Yes, we should reach those in great need, those who are thirsty, those who are hungry, those who are poor, those who are in these situations. Yes, there are calling, but Jesus focuses us. He says, start in the church. Start with those who are in these situations here. What's interesting is this list actually connects to the Christians who would have been persecuted and locked in jail, who would have been stripped down, beat, abused, and starved. And so some of us, we may not be in a situation where we're feeling any of these things. Hunger? When's the last time you really felt hungry? Thirsty? Have we ever been thirsty? What we find is actually that many of us in our wonderful nation that we live in don't connect with these things. And yet we find there are times where as we're preaching the gospel, the door is barred. The job is lost. The actual opportunity to know, to, to take in that cash or make that exchange is done. Some of our Christian friends have found themselves, yes, fined or in prison. In other cultures right now, our brothers and sisters in India and China and other locations like North Korea are struggling to even live because they are Christians for threat of death. And Jesus says, how do we help them? How do we care for them? They are the least of these, my brothers, least of these of my brothers. And so our calling is to use all that God has given to us to not only be ready, but to be on board, to get out there, to care for those around us. And hey, in our church right now, there are going to be lots of opportunities Because as this coming recession or whatever happens, as the economy comes open, there are going to be many of you who find that you are in need, that you don't have the food you need. You don't have the things that you need. And praise God as a church, we've, you guys, as the local church, Olive Branch, have been able to give so that we're prepared to help where we need to. And we're able to bring about a supply that's been stored up financially for others. I love that. You're generous. Thank you. But the local church also is able to step in in these ways. If you know, if you own a business and you know a fellow brother or sister who's unemployed, employ them. If you're somebody who is in need, ask that we may help you. It is the only thing that can hold you back is your pride. And you may be thinking, no, I got to figure this out for myself. No, Jesus said that we need to help each other because we don't help you like, oh, poor you. We help you because you represent our Lord Jesus. In you is the Lord. And we want to bless and care for you because you represent him. And that means we need to love on you because we know our Lord. And when we know you and we know our Lord, we see him in you, man, we're ready to help. It's what he's called us to do. Now, there's another side to the equation. As he continued on with the goats, we actually find out, he says, to these guys, hey, then he, sa- then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will answer, saying, Lord, 
When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. I get it. That seems harsh, but this isn't a work salvation. These are the nations that have rejected the gospel, that have imprisoned those who represent Jesus, that have starved those who represent Jesus. What is interesting, an uncommon time, we, we live in an uncommon time, but the commonality of the history has been that the church, wherever it begins to flourish, was crushed. That the nations would take care of themselves, but they would cast out the Christians. And nations will take care of themselves. Nations will help their, those who are Americans and the Koreans, those who are Koreans. They will help their own. But the church, we need to help each other because some of our brothers and sisters will not be helped by the nations. And so we see that God looks at those who aren't helping his children, who aren't helping his people, and he's saying, you're done. You didn't know me. You didn't see me in them. You didn't treat me this way. And so you are a part of the rebellious and that's where they'll go. Again, this is not about what they did. This is about knowing God. This is about having eternal life, a relationship with him. And he tells the church, get focused, serve the church first so that once we're there, we can then extend and serve the world around us. And that's what we plan to do. But also, let's remember that some of these people will hear, I never knew you, only because we never got to them with the message. Let's not let that happen. Let's make sure that nobody stands before God and they hear these, these declarations because they never heard. Let, rather, maybe they've rejected it. Maybe they said, I've got time. Or maybe they've said, I don't need it. Well, that's on them. But if we don't get the message to them, isn't that on us? See, our life now affects eternal life later for us and for others. See, the decisions we make today will affect our lives forever and can affect others' lives forever, forever. If we are the people who will not go out there to bring that message to others at risk to ourselves of all those things Jesus mentioned, then man, we may be in trouble. But we want to be busy. He's given us tons. We want to be ready. He could be coming back. Let's expand his kingdom. Let's bless and care for our brothers and see that God is working in us. But even more importantly today, you may be watching this and you have yet to have made that decision. You are not ready for your death or for his return. And you're not guaranteed another day. Make the decision today. Jesus Christ bore your sins on the cross. He took hell and the punishment away from you so that you could know God. And he offers it to you as a gift. You don't clean up first. You don't work to earn it. It's a gift that produces in us goodness, that produces in us an opportunity because we get to know God. But you have to receive that gift. He's offering it to you right now. Would you, would you please receive it today? Why wait? Why wait? Now is the time. Would you bow your heads with me if you're ready to receive this gift from God? Just bow your heads. Pray this. God, I know that Jesus Christ died on the cross and I trust that he bore my sins on it. I ask that you'd forgive me now. Would you come into my life? I trust that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And I trust that now you're giving me eternal life. 
Help me begin to live in it now. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, there's a lot of questions you might have, good, intelligent questions, and that's all right. But if you're beginning today, would you let us know? You can click that hand that you made a decision, or you can let us know by texting BEGIN to 951-382-5111. We want to help you journey into this relationship with God and to grow from here. Otherwise, God bless you guys. Let's get the message of Jesus out there. Let's be ready. Let's be busy in his kingdom. Let's indeed care for those who are the least in his kingdom.